Assurance of Pardon is sponsored by Logos Bible Software, the most advanced Bible study tool for both ministers and laypeople. Available on iOS and Android for phones and tablets, as well as on your Windows or Mac computer or laptop. Get the most of your time in the scriptures with Logos Bible Software. For more information and 15% off your next Logos package plus five free ebooks, visit assuranceofpardon.com slash logos. Now on with the show. Welcome to Assurance of Pardon, a podcast about the gospel, the Bible, the church, what it all means, and why it all matters. I'm Scott Davis, pastor of Hope Presbyterian Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And I'm Gage Jordan, assistant pastor of Youth and Families at First Presbyterian Dyersburg in Dyersburg, Tennessee. Well, Gage, we have been uh, radio silent for like a, like a whole solid month. We had the Snowmageddon, Snowpocalypse thing that hit, hit our area, and we couldn't get to our respective offices and so, but uh, it was worth all the wait because we have a very exciting guest with us today. Uh, we have Brett McCracken. Brett is a senior editor and director of communications for the Gospel Coalition. He is the author of several books, Uncomfortable, The Awkward and Essential Challenge of Christian Community, Hipster Christianity, When Church and Cool Collide, Gray Matters, Navigating the Space Between Legalism and Liberty. And uh, we're here to talk about his uh, his most recent book, The Wisdom Pyramid, Feeding Your Soul in a Post-Truth World. Brett is a graduate of Wheaton College and UCLA, and he and his wife, Kara, live in Santa Ana with their two sons. Is that right, Brett? Two sons? Yep. Two sons, Chet and Ira. Thanks for joining us, Brett. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to be here. Go ahead, Gage. So, Brett, t- tell us a little bit about yourself, man. So, how did you get from Wheaton to L.A.? <laughs> yeah, um, I grew up in the Midwest, so I was born in Tulsa and then grew up kind of in Kansas City, went to Wheaton um, for college, and then it was an internship in Southern California at the C.S. Lewis Foundation that brought me out to Southern California. Um, So right after I finished at Wheaton, um, and I think that was 2005, I came out to California to do this internship, and, you know, as often happens, I never left, right? So (laughs) I stayed and went to grad school at UCLA, and then got a job at Biola University, which is a Christian university down here. And I worked there for nine years, met my wife there, Kira. She was working at Biola um, in the same building. And we just kind of met each other in the hallway one day and the rest is history there. And um, so, yeah, I, I worked at Biola until about 2017. And then the Gospel Coalition hired me to be a full-time editor for them. That so I've been there for about four years at the Gospel Coalition, and I do online writing, editing, working with our communications in every capacity—video, podcasts, email, all that stuff. So it's a busy job, but I love it, and um, I just feel blessed to be able to, um, yeah, speak speak to the church, equip the church, hopefully, you know, be a resource to the church um, globally with um, with all the different <laughs> complexities and issues of our time. Um, so, yeah. And, uh, you know, I just got done listening to your book, actually, on audiobook. Uh, really excited about that. Did I hear correctly, though, that you're also um, a movie critic? Like, you write? That's Disney. one of the, like, kind of areas that I cover at the Gospel Coalition. So, I'm technically, I'm the editor of the Arts and Culture 
section of our website. So anything movies, Netflix, TV um, would fall into my area. And I, it's kind of how I got started as a journalist. Actually, I was like the film critic for our student newspaper at Wheaton when I was in college. And, um, and then Christianity Today kind of brought me on to be a freelance film critic for a number of years after that. And um, so it's kind of always been my, I just love it. It's like a passion area for things that I enjoy writing about. Yeah. Well, I want to, we're so glad to have you. I want to talk about your new book, The Wisdom Pyramid, and just what a, what a, a timely book it is. So um, give us just a broad overview of, of what is The Wisdom Pyramid. Sure. So it's basically borrowing from the, the food pyramid concept. So um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to give a conference presentation on our fake news kind of post-truth epistemological crisis that we're in and how do we flourish in a world like that um, as Christians. And uh, so as I was giving that talk, I thought it would be helpful to kind of have a visual graphic of what I was trying to communicate, which is, um, that we need to pay attention to the inputs that are coming into our lives. Like in order to have sanity in a world like this, in order to have wisdom, we just have to be mindful of, of the sources that we're kind of building our, our knowledge diet upon. So I had this idea of like, what if I took the food pyramid and turned it into a wisdom pyramid? And just like there were food groups in the, in the food pyramid, kind of more important ones at the bottom and less important ones at the top. Um, yeah, what would that look like for, for our Christian wisdom? So I created this uh, wisdom pyramid and had a friend of mine who was a designer just kind of mock it up in a nice looking format. And that was, that was where the concept originated. And um, then a couple of years later, I, I just thought maybe this could be a book if, you know, I could just expand on each of those categories of the wisdom pyramid and, and kind of make a case for why that particular knowledge group, if you will, is a source of um, trustworthy truth. And um, so, yeah, Crossway went for that as a book idea. And and that's um, that's how the book came to be. So it's really just a guide for how to navigate this overwhelming information landscape that we all face on a day-to-day basis. And how do we know what is helpful, what's not helpful? How do we um, just build a diet that is conducive to wisdom? So that's what the book is about. Yeah. And, and there's, there's uh, so much there I want to talk about. And I, I think about not only, obviously you have as the, you have as the bottom, the bottom base, the, 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 yeah. the largest, wisdom input uh being being the scriptures um mm-hmm. and at the top of it at the the dessert part yeah. you have social media and yeah. uh not only is that an incredibly wise way to think about the the balance of those two uh it's also sad to think that that's probably upside down most people are right. most people are are have all all six of these categories totally reversed <laughs> yeah it's that's kind of the gut reaction people have when they first see the graphic of the wisdom pyramid they're like uh we've actually flipped this thing and if we're honest with ourselves social media is kind of our our bread group it's like the foundation of our diet and that's why we're sick i think as a 
as a people, as individuals, as a culture, we've made junk food our our staple of our diet, and that's not you know conducive to health. So, yeah, I put it at the top of the pyramid to say it's still there, right? We can still, of course, find some gems there. We can find some helpful stuff, but it has to be in its right place. And that's just that's just the thing in life, right? Like having the rightly ordered loves, having the the right proportions of things, and um, and that's what I'm trying to to challenge people to do with this is just you know it's just about having a properly ordered diet where scripture has a more foundational place than you probably have it currently and other other things should occupy more foundational places than than uh twitter or you know instagram yeah you're not you're not calling people to be amish and and, uh, throw out their tv or or completely unplug because because yeah as you say i remember if i remember uh, several years ago i uh went to my 20-year high school reunion and it was super this time it was super easy to get a hold of everybody and to plan it and coordinate it for things like that and getting messages out to the church i mean social media is is a part of our life and we we we're not the the camel's nose is too far under the tent we we can't we can't easily get rid of it but but the way in which the way in which it boils every pivotal life-changing issue down to a meme a, snar- yeah. a snarky meme that basically says you hold this view or you're an idiot, right? It's every mm-hmm. every meme is two cells, and it's a it's a picture of Kermit the Frog drinking tea or uh, uh, or or some cartoon with text laid over it, and it and it really really does people lead people to believe that this little essentially snarky comic strip is giving them a snapshot of a complex view, and yeah. and yeah, it's 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 incredibly troubling. And, and I think too uh, another thing that I um, really enjoyed about the book was um, the assessment as a as a student pastor, right? As a, a pastor of youth and families, and I spend a lot of time with teenagers. Um, and there really is a, a culture kind of based off of two things. One, my feelings are ultimate, right? right. So everything in reality is subject to my feelings. Yep. And and if if reality um, butts up against my feelings for any reason or causes my my feelings to need to change, right. um, then I need to change reality. Uh, mm-hmm. And one of the things you talked about is the idea of like being able to filter out everything in life. Right? I don't I don't yeah. want to follow this person anymore. I don't want to follow this app anymore. I can unplug and adjust the algorithm to only. Um, feed my confirmation bias, right? Um, feed the the things that I believe to be true already. Uh, that's not just happening with adults and politics. That's happening on a teenage level. So that when we, we have conversations um, in Bible study and we say something that they didn't think uh, was true or, or that qu- causes them to have to kind of question what they believe and why they believe it. I've watched this, this interaction with some of my students that are just, they, they coil against that, right? They think, Oh, that's dangerous. Or I don't want anything to do with that. Or I'm, I'm out. This is canceled. Right. I I saw tongue up memes. I did see a meme that actually had a little bit of truth to it um, from a fellow pastor that said, you know, McDonald's could screw up your, your uh, order 15,000 times and you're still going to go back. But if this one thing happens, uh, with the other centers at church, you're done. It's canceled. Yeah. 
Jesus right. is over, right? And so, and and a lot of that comes from this this platform that we're in. Um, so, if if someone is coming to this book for the first time, Brett, mm-hmm. what what's the one big takeaway? What's the goal you're hoping that the reader comes away with? Mm. That's a good question. Yeah, I mean, I mean, one of the one of the guiding kind of frameworks for me as I ordered the wisdom pyramid levels and tried to figure out like, how do I like, what constitutes each level and why would I order some at the bottom and some higher? Um, For me, the biggest thing was um, the biggest factor was proximity to God. So the, the, the word of God is the foundation of the wisdom pyramid because it's the closest we have, right? The closest access we have to God's wisdom himself, right? It's his revelation. And then the church is the second most because it's kind of one step removed. It's God's people. It's an interpretive community that makes sense of God's words and applies it to life. And, and we were shaped spiritually in the church. And then nature, the third category of the wisdom pyramid is, I argue that it's proximity to God by virtue of the fact that it's God's creation. It's what he has made and it reveals things about him as Psalm 19 and Romans one, you know, places in the Bible tell us that that's true. And then so on and so forth up to Twitter at the top, which you know is pretty far from God in, in many cases. And um, so the point there is wisdom is ultimately proximity to God. And so I, there's a line in the book, I think in the final chapter where I say, wisdom is worship and so i think that's the big takeaway is we become wise not as much about what we know and what we feel in our brains but who we know and who we love and that's god that's wisdom incarnate that that he is the source of wisdom and the closer we are to him the, the more we love his presence the more we pursue him and appreciate his good gifts in music and beauty and nature and these other categories, the wiser we'll become. Um, so I think that would be the big takeaway that I want people to to take away from this book is it really does all come back to God and our closeness with him and our worship of him. Um, that's, that's how we become wise, right? We, we, we walk with God. That was Adam and Eve's mistake. They They wanted to be God without kind of walking with him they wanted to kind of have his knowledge separate from his presence so we're not going to become wise if we want to like be be wise in our own eyes and fill our brains with godlike knowledge no we will become wise insofar as we come closer to him and actually enjoy his presence and i think that's the whole story right like that's the the entire story of scripture is (laughs) every every sin that we um ever experience or participate in or uh, commit by not doing the thing we know we should do. Right. Like it says in James, all of that is a, a product of, or following in the pattern of our first parents, right? It's just doing the same thing they're doing in a different way. And you see kind of how that unfolds, right? You see um, in judges, like the, the rhythm of the story is Israel does 
something they shouldn't do, right? Or they were trying to do what was right in their own eyes, and it led yeah. to destruction. It led to, led to them getting taken captive or getting oppressed by this e- evil leader. And then the the judge had to come in and save the day, kind of repeatedly, right? Because yeah. Jesus is the true and better judge. He's the one that rescues us from ourselves when we do the thing that we think is right in our own eyes, and it actually leads to death, right? It's what Proverbs is talking about when it says, you know, that a, a man does what he thinks is wise, and ultimately it leads to his destruction. And I think that's it's huge that we come to the conclusion that Jesus is wisdom personified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because if not, you'll read, and Scott yeah, can jump in here, um, we've had friends, we've had fellow ministers mm-hmm. who will read, um, you know, Psalm 1, for example, um, mm-hmm. or Proverbs, and they'll say, okay, here are five ways for you to be a tree planted by by streams, right? Yeah. Um, and you'll think that this is it's some sort of five tips for you to be better, mm. when in reality, Jesus is the only one that's actually the blessed one who plants yeah. himself by the water. We mm. are the branches that mm. are, are engrafted into the vine, and unless we're inside the vine, we will be lifeless, sure, you know? Wither, like, wither and fall yeah. away, yeah. Yeah, well... Uh, uh, yeah, Brad. I think I think you know one of the things that I hope our, our you 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 hit the nail on the head with that with the sin of our first parents is 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 to eat the fruit of the knowledge of the uh, the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Is they have what has taken root in themselves is is a knowledge of good and evil that's firmly rooted in their own bellies. I, I will yeah. determine. I will determine what is good and what is evil. Right. Um, and and that's what that's what. The, that's exactly the the root of our sin is that is that we it's not that God doesn't want us to have to believe in good and evil he doesn't want to have a knowledge of it it just shouldn't be rooted in ourselves yeah. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that's precisely the, the the sin well and that's I mean that's just a major theme throughout my book is that foolishness is associated with the individualistic kind of default to my myself as the standard right the there's an entire chapter. I think chapter three is called look within autonomy. Mm-hmm. And, and that's so pervasive in our world, right? We're, we've been on this, this long trajectory for centuries of our truth. Our epistemology is moved from something external to ourselves mm-hmm. to increasingly inside of ourselves mm-hmm. and determined by the self. And, and, um, and technology now in the last couple decades has really, perpetuated that idea because now we have devices that can be tailored to the self. And so you, mm-hmm. to go back to what we were saying about reality and, you know, now we can really form our own reality. And so if we were already predisposed to want to think that truth was something we, you know, were the arbiter of, and now you can literally make that the case by unfollowing, you know, muting anything that, conflicts with your truth quote unquote and 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 then opting into the things that do back you up and do support your truth and it's just a disaster right i mean that's why we are in a post-truth world as oxford dictionaries declared the word of the year a couple years like Hmm. when everyone has their own reality and everyone has their own truth there's just little hope for progress in any of these um intractable debates um so 
Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit, Brett, if you would, about um, you, you shared a little bit about the scriptures, but um, about the, the, the supremacy or the, the, the importance of the local church. You and I were talking a little yeah. bit before we began recording about uh, as, as great as, as podcasts are for hearing theological views and, and shaping and sharpening uh, your theological views, a podcast or the Internet is, is a terrible place to go to church. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. But but a, a number of our listeners probably uh, uh, they probably load up their their listening device full of podcasts that they particularly like uh, instead of going to church. Why, why is that? Yeah. Why is that an error? Yeah, I mean, it's an error. It's a category error, I think. Like um, Alan Noble has a great book all about this called Disruptive Witness that I would recommend to listeners, but. Basically, what he says in that book, and it's so true, is that in the digital age, we are our feeds are are kind of putting everything on the same plane, right? Like you have you have a significant headline about genocide in some part of the world, right next to a YouTube gag video of about a cat doing something silly, right? Like, and everything in between. So it's all kind of flattened on this never-ending conveyor belt of content. And it just trivializes everything. And so now the church is added to that conveyor belt, and it's just one of many experiences that you can have on your device. Um, it, the really tragic thing is that it, it, it takes something that is really wholly other than any of those things. Like the church of Jesus Christ should be a totally separate category, but we've turned it into just another commodity that we consume digitally right and the the 2020 virtual church experience because of the pandemic sadly just accelerated that idea for a lot of people and so you open your phone at a certain time on sunday morning and then right when it's over you swipe to something else and you start watching something on netflix or, or do some other activity and so i think that's for me, one of the most problematic aspects of virtual church and digital church is it turns something that we, we should experience and conceive of as a, a totally separate category than from our digital kind of trivial diversions. Mm-hmm. But um, we've turned it into just another one of the digital diversions, and that's bad. And, and let's be fair, you know, I think... Um, this isn't just because of the digital advancements, right? Yeah. Um, right. Th- it was just the digital advancements expedited mm-hmm. the problem, right? Like we, we over the past hundred years yeah. have been on this trajectory of, you know, my personal Lord and Savior, my personal Jesus, my individual Christianity, you know, uh, he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me that I'm his own um, and none other has ever known the relationship that we have or, yeah. you in know, the two, in the 2000 year history of the church is my right. Says. <laughs> exactly. Right. Or, uh, you know, Jesus is just all right with me or me and Jesus, we got our own thing going and it yeah. leads to, you know, this um, era where, now you have this individualized uh, product yeah. that you can consume 
called salvation in Christianity, where right. it affects how you read your Bible, right? Mm -hmm. Where where now you're not just reading your Bible um, in concert with other saints that can, or even your your pastors who can speak mm -hmm. truth in, into your life. Mm -hmm. You're having your your own individual right. daily quiet time where yeah. you're trying to hear from the Lord. Mm -hmm. um, and he's speaking these things to you that you're not checking with anyone else. Yep. And, and sometimes the, those whisperings in your own head, your own thoughts get published. Right. And so mm -hmm. like in, in all of that, it, it leads to this product where I've had, I mean, as a pastor, I've had these conversations mm -hmm. during, during the pandemic, we were one of the few churches that opened before other churches did in town. So we had people who wanted to be with other people because we're naturally created for community. And so they would come to church. And then when, when their church that they went to um, opened back up, they were going back to that other church. And, and while I'm not, you know, I don't want to grow the church by stealing other people's church, <laughs> church members. That's, that's not what I want to do. At the same time, it was really obvious that we were saying something foundationally different than what they were, they were saying on Sunday from the, from the pulpit. And it was evident and the people knew it was evident, but what they kind of said was, well, I mean, only, we only started going here because my, my church wasn't open. And so it right. was like a buffet line. Well, I was only right. eating at your restaurant because my favorite restaurant wasn't right. open. It or wasn't I've had, where I'm at. Right. Mm -hmm. sure. or, or I've had conversations where people will come and they'll come on a regular basis and they'll say, man, I really like what you guys are doing. And I really appreciate like the reverence and the atmosphere and the liturgy. But I also feel this connection to this other movement over here. Uh, even though like I, as the longer I'm here, I can start to see kind of the red flags and what they're doing. Yeah. But I just, I feel like this is where mm -hmm. I'm at. Right. And, and so we've had all those sorts of kind of sprinklings of conversations um, throughout the pandemic to where at the end of the day, it, it feels like um, conversations that you have with couples that are living together and sleeping together and sh sharing the same checking account. But when you say, hey, you guys probably should get married, they go, I don't know if I can make that type, type of commitment. You know, I mean, that, that's exactly what it feels like. But it's because of yeah. this individualized product where. Right. If I hold on to Christianity this way, um, then no one can tell me I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a big deal. Um, yeah. Along the same lines, Brad, I'd love to love to hear your thoughts as we unpack these these principles. And one of the things you talked about was the importance of being versus doing sometimes. And you talked about the Sabbath uh, mm -hmm. at one point in the book. Um, we're Presbyterians, right? So we, we do liturgy. We do the same thing every week. We have a rhythm, but we also put a lot of emphasis on sanctification, right? That walking with Jesus over a long period of time, discipleship happening over decades and over, over life. Um, how do you think those, those conversations are going to play out in the current culture we're in? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, my last book, Uncomfortable, was all about this kind of consumer approach to church, which has been around for a long time. Like you said, it's not a new thing. Technology is just adding a new layer to it. But it's hard when church is just viewed as something that you get something out of it mm -hmm. primarily, and it, it suits you and kind of insofar as it's working for you, 
it's great. But when it stops working for you, you move on. So things like the the nece necessarily long game of sanctification and you know a long obedience in the same direction idea for discipleship. It's just hard to do that in this fickle consumer age where people tend to like have short stints at churches. Mm -hmm. They they're they're one place for a few years maybe, um, and then they start to get restless. And there's a new church that starts to meet their needs in a better way, and they move on. Um, so something that I tell people a lot, and I write, I wrote about it in uncomfortable, is just like look if you really are interested in growth, if, if becoming a more Christ-like person is something you're interested in, it's just not going to happen if you just kind of are rootless and you're like constantly moving from place to place. You have to kind of restart in every community in order, in order to be known deeply enough to be spurred on and sharpened by Christian community. So I think there's an opportunity to kind of have that conversation about like growth like are you really wanting to grow as a christian if so you should really plug in and commit to a church for a long term view it as a like a marriage like i think that we shouldn't shy away from making those connections right those covenant analogies with you know put a ring on it with your church like come on <laughs> um and uh Preach it. and and view your commitment to a church with as much gravitas as you would with a spouse. And, and sadly, we're so quick to divorce our churches, you know, these days and to move on the minute there's the slightest um, bit of friction. And, but that's just adding to this kind of spiritual stalemate where you can't grow as a Christian if you're just never willing to do the hard yards of long-term growth and community. Um, so I think there's a real compelling case to be made about like, if you really want to grow spiritually, like get uncomfortable in this long-term relationship with the church, know that there's going to be hard seasons, know that it's going to be, um, it's going to be like a refining fire, but, but it's a refining fire, right? This is how things become better. This is how things are grown by being challenged and by being stretched and not by only being affirmed and only being served. Uh, so I could go on and on about it because that's what I wrote uncomfortable all about. Uh, but I'll stop there. Yeah, no, we, we, we run into that all the time here in, in the Bible Belt as people are looking for a church with the same way they're looking for a, a gym membership. You know, it has it has all the amenities that I want. And you'll even hear people say, yeah, I don't really agree with the teaching, but they have a really good kids program. I don't really, yeah, I disagree about this or that, but, um, but we, you know, fill in the blank some other they have a really good youth program kids program they have a, the my kids play basketball there uh yeah. they have lots of bells and whistles it's just like saying yeah, it was gonna I, I joined this gym because they have this machine i like to work out on and they're mm -hmm. open whenever they're open in hours that are very convenient for me right. uh, those are good reasons to join a gym terrible reasons to join a church yeah well and the thing about it is like when you join things based on how many of your checklist items it, it meets, it just sets you up for a short-term stint because your checklist is going to change, right? You're, mm -hmm. it's, it's a fluid thing. And so as soon as it stops meeting those needs, you're going to have to move on. So people change gym memberships a lot for those reasons, right? We, 
um, our needs change and our commitments are very fickle. So it's just a bad way to approach church because invariably something about your preferences is going to change or something about the church and how it does things is going to change. And it's never going to, it's not going to be a perfect match for for very long. If it is in the beginning, right. It's not going to be that way for forever. Just like a marriage, right. You, you and your spouse change, like people change. And so if you expect that the person you marry on day one is going to be that exact same person Mm -hmm. in five years, 10 years, 20 years, and you will be the same person, you're going to set yourself up for divorce. And and a lot of people, that's what happens, right? But if you make the commitment and the covenant, the compelling kind of um, engine that keeps it going, rather than the compatibility, right? That's something I'm always harping on is compatibility is not the priority, right? Commitment is more important than compatibility. And that's true for church and it's true for marriage. So it's not like compatibility isn't important at all. Like you should try to find a church that has some (laughs) overlap with your um, desires and needs, but it can't be the main thing because that'll always disappoint you. And, and and I think uh, Brett, the the reason that this problem is so rampant in in American Western evangelicalism is because people do have an upside down wisdom pyramid, right? The the church is the, the yeah. church is, has has become something of the dessert thing that I can dip in and out of, yeah. and right. so it becomes it becomes a very transient thing. Um, mm-hmm. I've used this illustration before, uh, but as a minister, you'll have people you'd never have somebody say. Uh, nobody would call a church and say, "Hey, I'm thinking about coming to your church. I just want to know. Um, uh, I'm pretty wealthy. Is it mostly wealthy people? Like nobody would think of saying that. Or thinking about coming to your church. I'm white. Tell me it's mostly white people. But they will call and say, "Tell me you've got other uh, uh, single people. Mm-hmm. Tell me you've got other uh, young married couples. Tell me you've got- right. we've decided that there's these sort of demographic things that it's." perfectly acceptable to right. say I'm looking for a church that meets these demographic things mm-hmm. and you know like I mean did anybody do that in the church at Corinth you know I'm right. I, I'm a Christian but I'm not going to join the church at Corinth because they don't have a playground or a ball right. or um, right so uh, it's a, it's a sad commentary on, on right. our consumeristic yeah. culture no absolutely yeah and it connects to just the bigger problem that I talked about with foolishness is so tied to our individualistic orientation, right? When, when we are the center of the universe and everything, our epistemology and how we construe truth and our just experiences of the world and our enjoyment of the world is all about meeting our needs. We're just bound for, for trouble and we're not going to be healthy. We're not going to be wise that way. So yeah. Well, Brett, Brett, you have written a uh, a, a book. There are, it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's not a, it's not a long book. Was it two hundred pages, maybe? I think it's yeah, one hundred and seventy or hundred something like that, one hundred and eighty. Yeah, and folks, there, there. Every now and then, a book comes along that, uh, as a pastor, you just want to put in the hands of every single person that you meet, um, mm-hmm. because uh, it, it, it's just so timely so helpful and and it 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 scratches it it scratches an itch that's probably not the best way to say it 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 meets a a need that that is that is so so huge in the church today and so we're we're so grateful for to you and crossway for for the book 
Absolutely. So much so that uh, we actually reached out to Crossway um, and they're actually partnered with us on this episode. And we're going to be doing a giveaway, Brett. So we're going to be giving away your book for our listeners. Mm-hmm. Um, we loved it so much. And, and it honestly, um, it'll it'll definitely be a book we go through with m- with my students as they start to think through about wisdom as adults and kind of what they're doing and how to think yeah. about life. Uh, so that that'll enter the rotation of curriculum that I that I share for sure. So I wanted wanted to share that with you. Um, so we we want to thank Crossway obviously for for partnering with us and and being being a part of Brett. We appreciate you coming on and, and sharing your time with us. Um, please 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 go uh, and get uh, Wisdom Pyramid. We'll be sure and share a link to the book in the show notes and we're going to be doing a giveaway this week so be sure and check that out on social media uh, speaking of social media uh, you can find us on facebook instagram or twitter so sparingly been, uh, but only do but only find us on there sparingly yeah right. only only do that during the during the time where you're intentionally <laughs> looking for something is, is <laughs> there you go the book. Um, but uh, we would encourage you uh, to check that out there uh, you also see a link to other books that that Brett has written uh, in the show notes as well. Uh, we'll also put a link to that Alan Noble uh, book. Alan's got a new book coming out too. We would recommend yeah. that as, as well. We you also are not your own, I think it's called. I think so, yeah. that yeah. It, it quickly went to the Amazon card as soon as I knew that Alan Noble oh, put a, put a book, book out, man. He, I'll, he, I'll always read anything Alan writes. He's yeah. a sharp guy. Yeah, he, he puts out great content for sure. Uh, we also want to thank um, another sponsor of ours, Logos Bible Software. Uh, they have uh, sponsored and become kind of regular fixture uh, for Assurance of Pardon. Um, we, we love those guys. Uh, you can always visit assuranceofpardon.com slash Logos for a special discount for any of our listeners. So be sure to visit the website and uh, pick up a copy of Logos Bible Software today. Um, that's all we have for you this week. Brett, thanks so much. Until next time, this is Assurance of Pardon. God bless.